Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. We always ask that you please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app. Why? Because with the app, you have access to all of our station's content and no matter where you are. And of course, you can share the app with your friends and encourage them. If you like what we do here, at the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, encourage them to download the app. Also, if you don't mind, also follow Joe and I on our social media, which you can find us at the Frontline TV, the Frontline TV on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And today, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Father Jeffrey Kirby. And Father has published a new book through TAM Publishing titled Sanctify Them in Truth, How the Church's Social Doctrine Addresses the Issues of Our Time. The Issues of Our Time, Joe Racinello, that means we're going way into the breach today on the Veritas Catholic Network. Now, many of you out there uh, know Father Kirby uh, or have heard of Father Kirby. Having said that, uh, quick introduction, Father Jeffrey Kirby is a papal missionary of mercy, the pastor of Our Lady of Grace Parish in Indian Land, South Carolina, and adjunct professor of theology at Belmont Abbey College, senior contributor to the Crux News site, and author of several books on spiritual moral and pastoral subjects. Father Kirby holds a doctorate in moral theology from the Holy Cross University in Rome and a Bachelor of Arts in History and a Master of Arts in Philosophy from the Franciscan University in Steubenville. In 2016, Father was recognized by Governor Nikki Haley of South Carolina and granted the Order of the Palmetto, that state's highest civilian honor for his service to local communities and young adults throughout the state. Father grew up in West Germany, uh, backpacked through Europe while in graduate school, ran two marathons while in seminary, served in the Army National Guard, attended seminary in Rome, crossed the Atlantic Ocean by ship, eaten breakfast at the White House, and has served as a guest chaplain to the United States House of Representatives. And as if that was not enough, every Wednesday evening, Father Jeff Kirby is heard um, at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, hosting the weekly show, Father Kirby Live on Patreon. Father Jeffrey Kirby, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. <laughs> thank you, Joe. And thank you for reading that biography that my mom wrote. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> hey, I feel like I just ran a marathon. But then again, I'm, I'm not in the greatest shape. Uh, but thank you again, Father, for joining us. With that, I'm handing it over to Joe Resinella. We're going to have a, a very important and very lively conversation. Father, could you lead us in prayer? Yes, yes absolutely. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we ask that you pour your Holy Spirit upon us. May you enlighten our minds, open our hearts, help us to know your will, and graciously follow it. Help us to do all that you ask of us through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. 
Father, I, I was saying uh, right before the show, I mean, I, I, I thought your book was awesome. And I really think everyone should read it. I'm not just, we talk to a lot of people because it's relevant. And I said this to Joe, um, it's very clear. You're not like a lunatic. In all honesty, we're lunatics, <laughs> but you're not. And it, it, you, it, you, you addressed everything. It was clarity with charity. That's what we need in the church. I, I highly recommend this read. Um, my wife's reading it now. I think you touched on everything. You were very level-headed, and that's exactly what we need. Um, I, I want to ask you, just back up before we get into the book, how'd you find your vocation? I mean, clearly, you're breaking a lot of molds here. You're a runner. You're a runner. You were in the Army. Um, I always ask uh, the clergy this question, especially like someone like yourself, because I think a lot of people think like priests, they have no options. Well, you have tons <laughs> of options and you were called by God and you became a priest. Um, and frankly, with your background, one day you'll be a bishop. So maybe uh, oh, watch out, I don't want to curse <laughs> you. <laughs> you can't say Joe. I don't want to give you the, uh, the, the, what's it called? The curse. But yeah, I mean, you got a great background. Please tell us how you got there. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I'm grateful you asked that question, Joe, because I'll tell I feel like every decade there's a different component of, of you know, my own vocational story that I begin to realize in, in, in different ways. Uh, so, for example, growing up in a military family in Cold War West Germany, things are very clear. So right, wrong, good, evil. Uh, free society, communism, very clear. And, and I think that clarity very much helped me just in terms of understanding, like, okay, there's there's a right way, there's a wrong way. Uh, there's, you know, the people who stand up for what is, you know, true, good, and beautiful, and there are people who, you know, kind of run for the hills. And, and I very much have come to appreciate just how much that has molded and shaped me and my, and my own vocational discernment, especially when I was younger. Um, but with that said, I tell you, I really wasn't thinking about becoming a priest. I you know, went off to college. I, my faith was important to me. That's why I chose to go to Francisco University in Steubenville. But after finishing my undergraduate and, and graduate studies, I, I thought I was going to go off to law school. I, I wanted to be an attorney. And just more and more, the Lord just you know, kept speaking to my heart, kept kind of, you know, uh, kind of, you know, pushing and, and, and kind of giving some, some, you know, punches and so on. And, and eventually I, I said, you know, I really have to begin to address this and, and, and try to answer this question, either yes or no, just to, to be honest with the Lord, be honest with my faith, my discipleship. And yeah, <laughs> that's a dangerous thing when you ask God a question, you say, I've got my, my heart open, I'll do whatever you ask of me. Uh, because very quickly, the Lord made it clear, uh, yeah, no, you need to you need to go ahead and go to the seminary. And, and, and I didn't want to hear that. I, I accepted that at the time. But even when I went and, you know, to apply for the seminary, uh, you know, my bishop said, well, why don't you teach in one of our high schools for a year while you're doing the application process? And the whole time I'm like, Lord, if, if you just think that there are other people better than me, uh, I, I'm willing to kind of, you know, step out and, and, and you know, I don't have to continue on with this. Uh, but the Lord kept saying, yes, no, go. I want you to do this. And kept trying to say yes, uh, sometimes in spite of myself but yet just just kept saying yes and eventually uh, I found myself in seminary and then you know after my first year of seminary someone asked me how was it and 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 mind you my first year of seminary was 2002 right when all the scandals broke all right probably the worst time to be in the seminary and after my first year of seminary somebody asked me so what do you think I said well it was terrible it was difficult like you know I kind of felt distressed uh, you know there's all this you know criticism towards the priesthood and so on and they're like oh I'm so sorry to hear that I said yeah but you know what I never felt more myself 
you know, I, I just felt a sense of peace. Like even when everything else seemed to be kind of chaos and, you know, I had to relearn a whole different way of living. Uh, even with all that said, I, I just said, you know, I, I, I felt this inner peace. I felt a, a, a satisfaction with myself that I had not known. And that, of course, uh, for me, continued in, to indicate that uh, that this was the right path. And, and here now I've been a priest almost 15 years. So, so there's a lot more to the story, but those are the highlights. Uh, basically, it was a hard-headed Irish kid who eventually just had to say yes. And when he said yes, the Lord just kept telling him to give more. So uh, that that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. It's good. It's go. good. I love it. There you go. <laughs> Father Jeff Kirby is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Uh, the book uh, published by Tam Publishing is Sanctify Them in Truth of the Church social doctrine addresses the issues of our time and that's what we're going to get into uh, a little bit so father um obviously the church or at least as far as the secular culture is concerned you know has been shown the door you know uh, catholics need not apply as far as throwing our ideas into the public arena obviously we're not listening to that directive okay um and that's you want to talk about a hard-headed irishman you talk to a couple of hard-headed italians faithful catholics no you're not keeping us out of the public square however we deal with the reality we're not really welcome orthodox catholic uh, uh catholicism is not welcome and you have a a world that doesn't make a lot of sense uh, secularized, marked by ideology, uh, partisanship. I mean, well, how are we supposed to impart to our Catholic brothers and sisters and all people of goodwill how to discern what's right and wrong? Because right now, right is being called wrong, wrong is being called right, lies are the truth, truth are lies. Catholic Church has a way through this. Tell our audience about it, Father. Yes, exactly. So, to your point, Joe, uh, the scriptures tell us we have to be careful of people with itchy ears. And, and it's an idiom that basically means people who are so willing to accept lies and deception. They have itchy ears. And we live in a culture right now uh, of many itchy ears. People you know, would rather accept you know, what is false than what is true or what is ugly rather than what is beautiful. I think as Catholics who seek to really faithfully follow the, the Lord Jesus, uh, first and foremost, we have to have our own discipleship in place. I think that we have to kind and challenge ourselves to pursue holiness, to live up to the virtues that the Lord is calling us to live. I think as we get our own discipleship in place, then we have to know the answers. We have to you know, read the signs of the times, like what, what's being challenged, what's being questioned, you know, what is the secular society trying to attack or diminish or redefine? And I think by recognizing these, we can then begin to study and, and, and know the doctrinal response, to know the arguments, to know how we can you know, give those answers. And, and I think that's so important because if we don't have that, then we begin to try to talk to people in a secular world and they get contentious or defensive or they start calling us names. And if we're not careful, we can start to lose our patience and get frustrated and, and betray the spirit of the gospel as we're trying to share the gospel. So I think by having our answers in place and being ready, when there's that challenge or the name calling or all the things that go along with that, we're ready. We have the inner peace in which we are prepared for the spiritual battle. And I do think it's important to remind ourselves, as St. Paul tells us, that we do not battle flesh and blood, right? No other human being is our enemy. We battle, we battle powers and principalities. So this is a spiritual battle. We're, we're fighting some, some bad spirits. And, and when we are engaged with our neighbors, we have to remind ourselves of that. Like these neighbors are children of God, made in the image of God, made by God and for God, but they're, they're stuck in some type of darkness where we have a spiritual reality there that we have to be willing to address and, and, and battle with. So I think by having our own discipleship in place, by knowing the answers and, and the church's doctrine, we can then speak the truth and love 
and have the real battle with those powers and principalities. Thank you for that. Father Jeffrey Kirby is joining us here at the front line with Joe. And Joe, we're discussing his book, Sanctify Them in Truth, How the Church's Social Doctrine Addresses the Issues of Our Time. Father, I'm going to hand it over to Joe, but I wanted to just comment. It is an amazing thing that, you know, we can watch the TV or watch social media and get real angry, okay? Um, but we remember something, and I learned this lesson, okay? Because we could get, call it righteous anger, or I'm, I'm, I, you know, I don't want, I'm trying not to get mad at people, even though people do things enough times to make you angry. I prayed in front of abortion clinics. I've been down in front of old St. Patrick's Cathedral, you know, I'm processed down to Planned Parenthood. God gives you the grace to, 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 to live, you know, to react in the way Christ would want you to, because uh, just from my own experience with others, in other words, being mocked, being cursed at, being, you know, all these different things, God gives you the grace to stand firm. And I dare say that that kind of a witness that happens all across the country, just as an example, is the thing that will change this culture. People see that and they're moved by it. And, that, and, and I think as Catholics, we need, to, we need to emphasize that. You can get angry all you want. Really ain't going to do you any good. Um, we have to do what Christ tells us to do, as Our Lady says. I'm sorry I got a little, little long-winded. Joe Rissanello, where do you want to head? Well, before we get in, just to like let our listeners know, I mean, Father breaks down all the big, t- you know, ticket issues, and he kind of goes through the catechism. He talks about prayer. He talks about how to respond. It's phenomenal. I want to ask you this though: uh, Have you ever had pushback within the church? Because I have. I'm going to be very frank with you. I've taught RCIA. I was asked to leave. I taught it right from the catechism. Right from the catechism. Uh, people had hang-ups about receiving in a state of grace. I taught it right from the catechism. I was asked, I was showed the door. Um, I've been tried, I've been doxxed twice by people I've worked with. Um, you know, I survived both times. Um, have you had, because I have found, I mean, in, in this is in our area, uh, you have to shop for a parish, Father. I mean, I go to a po- I'm married to a Haitian American woman. I'm Italian. I go to a Polish American church. You, you, do you think we stand out? Because they're faithful. <laughs> I mean, like, like, let's be honest. And I got five kids, interracial kids. So I mean, like, like, you know, that should not be. You said something in the beginning that is so true. You said to be clear, the church is clear. It's as clear as day. And I like maybe I'm a dope, but I don't get the confusion. To me, I see it as black and white. Read it. It speaks for itself. Well, you talked about law. Prima facie. The document speaks for itself. Read it. Read it. Yet somehow everyone's confused. I don't could I guess first, have you ever addressed conflict in the church? Because I have. And secondly, how are we confused? That's right. That's right. Yeah, if I can start with the second point, I think that we have to be careful, you know, that so oftentimes we can forget that we're the children of God and we start to act as if we're orphans, as if we have no identity, no clarity, you know, no way of life. Uh, because as Christians, as the children of God, we do. Like we, we, we have an identity given to us in Jesus Christ. We have a sure path that we're called to follow. There is clarity. The Lord would not let us stumble in the dark and not know right from wrong or, or what the path to salvation is. So, so I think that so oftentimes spiritually, people are willing to abandon their status as children of God in order to become you know, orphans in, in the midst of a secular age. In terms of, of pushback, you know, 
uh, certainly um, there are people who were in my parish who are no longer here, <laughs> you know, who have decided to go somewhere else because, you know, they prefer a, a softer version of the gospel. Uh, I think in terms of church leadership in my area, I'm, I'm very fortunate being in the southeast that a lot of what I preach or teach um, finds you know, for the most part, uh, widespread acceptance. Uh, I've, I have found support and encouragement uh, from those in authority in the church. Uh, so other than people who might push back, you know, they see something on YouTube and they send, you know, uh, you know, vile emails or they call my parish office and, and leave, you know, messages or, you know, sometimes a, a you know, new parishioner doesn't realize what who I am or what this parish, my parish is about, uh, you know, and then, of course, you know, they you have to make their comments and, and oftentimes, you know, uh, be uh, disrespectful and so on. So other than that, I, I really uh, have not uh, had, you know, you know in, in terms of the church, I have not had any extensive persecution or, or, or rejection. Uh, I will say this, a, a good friend of mine up in New Jersey, uh, somewhere in the Diocese of Camden, I'll just say that, uh, he said to me that uh, as he was watching some of my homilies, he said if he preached 10% of what I preached, so I'm in South Carolina. He said if he preached 10% of what I preach in South Carolina, if he tried to do that in Camden, New Jersey, he would be run out of the church. Uh, he, it would not be permissible. And, and part of that, again, I think is just being in the Southeast, being in the Bible Belt. Uh, we tend to be still a relatively conservative society, and, and people uh, are more open to the, you know, the teachings of the Christian faith. Let me stop you there. I, I, like what you said, I think is accurate because like you talk about contraception, you talk, that's a biggie. You know, you talk about, to be honest with you, uh, the social doctrine of the church with regard to sharing. I mean, sharing with people, you know what I'm saying? Like yep, yep. you'll run people right out the door. Um, but here's the thing, who cares? What I mean by that is this, I love you, but Christ was challenged with the Eucharist. He didn't sell anything. My point is this, I don't get, like what's the pushback in the sense of, listen, I don't mean who cares because I don't love you. That's not my point. Absolutely not. So please don't misunderstand me, the listeners. I love you because I'm going to tell you the truth, and I'm going to keep saying it. And there should be no pushback. And we seem to not understand that the church is here to convert the world. The world doesn't convert the church. We don't get it. Seems and that's to- kind of been inverted. That's kind of been inverted, Joe Rasinello, like lately, because that's the way, at least, you know, it seems in the modern era, I mean, that's or the 20th century onward, it seems like that's the kind of situation we're dealing with, is that yeah. the church, in many ways, not, again, you know, uh, is being guided by the world rather than vice versa. Joe's exactly right about that. Let's, let's jump in a, a little bit uh, further there. Uh, Joe and I are of the opinion that ab- abortion is, it, it, you know, that while there are many issues to address in the world, and there are, okay, we're Catholics. We have something to say about everything. I just like to break it to everybody, okay? But uh, we're of the view that, that the preeminent issue is the, the killing of unborn children in the world. That's world. right. Okay. Um, what are your thoughts on that? How can we... Um, you know, how can we emphasize to people that you're really not going to get much else right? The way we say it on the show at the front line with Joe and Joe, Father Kirby, is I can't talk to you about immigration 
or taxes or the economy unless we can first agree on what a human life is and it should be and all human life should be protected from the moment of conception your thoughts yes yes so i draw right from the social doctrine of the church and and the social doctrine uh, which is the application of our dogmatic teachings so biblical truths is the application of those truths in the social forum, so in social issues. So we speak about social doctrines, applying the gospel to everyday life. And from the social doctrine of the church, it's clear that abortion and euthanasia are preeminent issues. It means they are the highest. So within all the life issues and social issues, there's a hierarchy of importance, hierarchy of prominence. And the, the preeminent issues are abortion and euthanasia because there we're dealing with life in its most vulnerable and weak stage. And so to, to your point, Joe, if we don't get human dignity right in these areas, we have no moral credibility. There's no consistency to argue human dignity in any other issue. And so that hierarchy of, of, of truth is significant because we speak about abortion and euthanasia. The church is saying that nothing, no circumstance, no intention can ever make these right. Now that's important because we have other moral issues social issues that are prudential issues. That term is very important in our social doctrine. Prudential issues would be, for example, in immigration. There can be multiple different good answers to, uh, to immigration. Circumstances and intentions can change things. So two good people, well-intentioned people, can have very different views of immigration and they can both be right. So because it's a prudential issue, you have to assess state of affairs, you have to look at the situation of, of, of a country, of, of the those who are fleeing, the, the status of the immigrants, multiple different factors that come into play in terms of immigration. It's, it's a prudential issue because circumstances and intentions can change the level or, or the policy or the law. With abortion euthanasia, no circumstance, no intention can ever make this right. So we say it's absolute as opposed to prudential. And that's why the, these issues are preeminent. And with abortion in particular, it's even more pressing because it's right at the very beginning of life. If we don't get this one right, there is no human life to argue about any other human right or dignity if life doesn't exist. So even just chronologically, abortion becomes a preeminent issue as well as a preeminent issue in terms of vulnerability of the person, the weakness of, of the victim, and so on. So abortion, absolutely, our, our social doctrine is clear. Let, let me just give you an example from the early church. So the first collection of moral teachings of the Christian is, is, a, is a collection of, of teachings called the Didache. That's Greek, it just means the teachings. And we think that this was written around 70 to 75 AD. So it predates some of the New Testament, right? And in that collection of teachings, it says, the Christian will not abort their children. And the Christian will not support those who do abort their children. So from early on, the church was clear. And get this, of all the things that we can do, all the evil we can commit, all the sins that we can do, there's only one act that has an automatic excommunication attached to it. If someone has an abortion or actively assists in an abortion, they drive the person to the clinic, they pay for the abortion, whatever it might be, that is an automatic excommunication from the Roman Catholic Church. And only abortion has that level of, of pastoral discipline because of how preeminent it is, how essential it is to our way of life. 
Absolutely. Thank you for the clarity on that. Father Jeffrey Kirby joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you for that clarity. The book uh, out by TAN Publishing, T-A-N Publishing, Sanctify Them in Truth, How the Church's Social Doctrine Addresses the Issues of Our Time. Joe Racinello, I'm handing it over to you. Well, I think there's a lack of understanding and catechesis because people don't really grasp the five intrinsic evils that the bishops um, laid out, I believe, in 1998. I could be wrong, um, where they lay out those. Um, and frankly, sometimes they're not articulated in the way they probably should be. But I also want to compliment you on your immigration position because we're a wealthy country and we have to welcome people in this country. Have to. And I think it gets wrapped up in politics. We could do better. Now, that doesn't mean it has to be an open border. Obviously, I mean, I don't keep my door open, you know, like like in the middle of the night, but me and my wife have an obligation to share what God has given us to the poor. That's an obligation um, because we've been blessed and we have to share. Um, talk about that because I think it gets wrapped up in politics. Now, like I'll use an example just from a political perspective. I don't believe in merit-based abortion, uh, immigration. Why should we just let engineers, doctors, and lawyers into the country? How about the guy? My grandfather worked in a factory when he came from Italy. My mother wouldn't have been able to come here. And, and also, we're wealthy country but you also know in the book that you have to talk can you support the school system support you know there has to be a plan but we could do better and i think it, the, the reason why i compliment you on it it was balanced it wasn't like what people think like oh these guys are catholic they're conservative they don't want you know people from the south no that's not true i want people i love everybody Amen. And, and and i have to share but it has to be like you said talk about that because i think it it really to be truthful with you i think you did a great job with it well thank you joe and then and, and i'll tell you as as anyone starts to study the social doctrine of the church i think that you know pick your issue and overwhelmingly people realize the conclusion that that you're summarizing which is the teachings of the church are very balanced that you know oftentimes you know po politics you know relies on partisanship and oftentimes exaggerating one side over the other but the social doctrine of the church it looks at both and it gives a, a balanced presentation like okay here's parts to look at here's what has to be decided so in terms of immigration the catechism will tell us that you know wealthier nations have to be more generous to the degree that they are able and that the political authority, the civic authority in a country is bound first to the country in which it governs, but then must be generous to others who are in need. So again, we see this balance in, in, in our, our social doctrine, in our, in our language, we speak of solidarity, which is that I am everyone's brother, I should help anyone who is in need to the degree that I'm able, and yet subsidiarity, which means we do it at the lowest or, or the most appropriate level, so there's a certain breakdown. So if I have surplus, the first people I should look to help are members of my extended family and then members of my neighborhood. But I also have to think on a broader scale. So, you know, we can remember the, the old motto, uh, think globally, act locally. Uh, I don't know who wrote that, but that actually is a very good summary of, of an aspect of Catholic social doctrine, that we both have this universal heart to everyone. I, I care about the people at the border. I care about the children at the border, but I also care about the children down the highway where I live who are living in poverty here in Lancaster County, South Carolina. So we as Catholics, as Christians, we do both. There's this balance. So we're generous to the degree that we are able. And that, that's almost a, an exact quote from the 
Catechism of the Catholic Church. When it comes to immigration, wealthier nations should welcome more people. In Amen. fact, I, I, I quote there in the catech from the Catechism that you know people oftentimes you know do not realize or, or have forgotten that, that there are four sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. That's the language that the scriptures use and that the Catechism of the Catholic Church echoes. Sins that cry to heaven. So these are like mortal sins supersized, right? And one of them, one of these four grave sins that cries to heaven for vengeance is to mistreat or take advantage of an immigrant. So if someone comes to our country illegally and then someone employs them but pays them at a far lower rate knowing that they can't appeal to the police because they have no legal status that is a sin that cries to heaven for vengeance right so one is bringing divine judgment upon themselves so in the in the chapter as you described joe i try to give both sides that yes like a nation has to discern what can we do what is what is appropriate in terms of of the generosity that is prudential but also like to make sure that we're being as generous as we can to the degree that we are able so again we see this balanced approach in catholic social doctrine well i'm glad that you, you brought that up father jeffrey kirby's joining us here at the front line with joe and joe i'm getting tired of the idea that the, you know the catholic church like everything is so polemical right um you know you got to take one extreme side or the other no the catholic church actually when you dig deep when you look particularly as you're mentioning about the social doctrine of the catholic church you find a tremendous amount of balance and we'll talk about that on the other side of the break father kirby's joining us here the book is sanctify them in truth how the church's social doctrine addresses the issues of our time that's out from Tan Publishing. Make sure you buy it from Tan Publishing and avoid those big box stores that may be selling it because we need to support our publishers. Stick around. We have another great segment with Father Jeffrey Kirby. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We are in the breach with Father Jeffrey Kirby, and we're discussing his new book, Sanctify Them in Truth, How the Church's Social, Social Doctrine Addresses the Issues of Our Time. I'm going to hand it over to Joe, Father Kirby, but I would say this. Part of the social doctrine that uh, one, of the, one of the first documents I read in the social doctrine goes back to Rerum Novarum. Sure. And if you want to see or if you want to read, I should say, uh, what we're talking about, about a balanced view, okay, that that third view, the view of the church, which is obviously, you know, the truthful view. You, you come walk, you know, you, you tend not to be so ideological when you read what the church has to say about these things. You're neither communist nor consumerist or, or laissez-faire capitalist, even though we are, we are obviously pro-free market people because we believe markets are useful and good to raise people out of poverty. I would suggest everybody, don't just listen to what people say about the doctrines of the Catholic Church, go and read them for yourself. Start with Rerum Novarum. That's a pretty good place with that. Uh, well, actually, Father, you have a comment on that, and then I'm going to hand it over to Joe. Yeah, no, Joe, I'm just glad to, to hear you're reading uh, Rerum Novarum. I think the average Catholic doesn't realize that we have this whole body of teaching, you know, that addresses everything in the social order, that if there's something that a Catholic is facing in their workplace, their neighborhood, uh, the church has an answer. There, there's a contribution of the gospel to the issues that they're dealing with in their, in their daily lives. 
No, well, thank you for that, Father. Joe Resinello, where do you want to head? I just want to say one thing based upon what you guys were saying. I was thinking of Father John Hardin, um, and you address everything, Father. And I think what's missing in terms of some of the comments, we, you talked about your friend in New Jersey. I was just dwelling on it in my head. Um, Father Hardin said this, as Catholics, we have to know the truth, we have to live the truth, we have to speak the truth, and now here's the edge. We have to suffer for the truth, and we're not willing to. Yes. This is everybody. You see, we have to suffer. Christ suffered. I, I read the Magnificat every day, and they always feature a saint. How many of these bishops got tossed out of their country three times? They got exiled, came back, exiled. They have ST in front of their name. The people who exiled them didn't, didn't, they're forgotten. And that's what I mean when I say like, like we just have to say the truth and say it in love, but say it, we have to say it. And, and like, let the chips fall. I trust God. Father, I have five kids. I don't know how I'm going to send them to college. I'm going to be honest with you. I just, I don't trust me because I'm a mess. I just trust God. We all have to just trust God. That's my rant, and I want to... <laughs> That's his rant, Father, and he's standing by it. But that's I will right. say this. Joe mentioned Boom. love. Joe mentioned love, and I think that that's the perfect segue into asking you about a major issue right now is the LGBT issue, all right, and yes. issues involving, you know, that group of people, okay? And we, obviously, you cannot have love without the truth, and you can't have the truth without love. They're, they're, they're right. interchangeable, okay? Christ sat with the sinners, but for their conversion, Okay. That's right. um, talk about that. Talk about the proper approach of the Roman Catholic when it comes to speaking the truth and what we think is, um, you know, we think a lot of people in that movement, the rank and file people, are being used, quite frankly, by the leadership. Okay, they're pawns in a, in a, I think, a culture war. All right. Yeah. Um, but leaving that aside, how are we to approach that community and that issue with love and truth? Yes, yes. So, uh, as you were saying, Joe, my experience in terms of the uh, LGBTQ plus movement is that oftentimes uh, most of the people that are involved in that movement have been hurt or there's some type of brokenness in their life and really in, in many respects have, have become, you know, pawns or victims a second time to, uh, you know, the leaders of this movement. Because oftentimes what we find is, you know, people are, are you know, feel as if they're aliens to themselves, they, they feel displaced, uh, they, they don't understand where they fit, uh, they don't understand uh, the emotions or desires that they have. And, and as Christians, we know who we are, we know how we have been created, this has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. So the greatest gift we can give to people is that clarity of what it means to be a human being, to have human dignity. I think the one issue that we really need to start emphasizing in the church even more so uh, is the principle of complementarity. You know, that there's this beautiful complementarity. So it's, it's, it's wonderful to be a woman and to have the feminine genius, to wonderful to be a man and have the masculine genius, and that these two complement one another. Physically, yes, of course, but also spiritually, emotionally, that there's this beautiful complementarity between man and woman. And I think by emphasizing these two genders, the, the beauty, the, the genius, we say, uh, in theology uh, of, of being a man or being a woman, and then, of course, that complementarity. We see how when a man meets a woman, a 
woman meets a man and there's and there's this connection between the two of them that this complementarity flourishes there's things that women do better things that men do better there's different approaches again this is there's this beautiful uh, complementary that's balanced i think that's the message we have to uh, begin more and more to emphasize because we're dealing with homosexuality and we have to distinguish between orientation and action we have to very much clarify like you know you know how we approach in in terms of, of these two issues but then also with the transgender movement which opens up a whole can of worms you know questions about gender and identity and human dignity love marriage sexuality so i was asked some time ago as a moral theologian they they asked that what is the one issue that's the most severe the most pressing as a transgenderism because it encapsulates so many of these other issues again human dignity sexuality gender and so on all of them so I, I think as we approach this movement that is you know very uh, sporadic uh, very intolerant by the way <laughs> um, we have to make sure that in our minds we have clarity and and, and I think by emphasizing that principle of complementarity we prepare um, the, a good foundation for our, our conversation Thank you for that, Father. Joe Rasinello. Father, in, in the book, I, I was, again, very uh, edified, actually, um, how you told a little story in that section about uh, the LGBTQ movement, um, about how you were confronted by two women who were involved in a relationship. Share that, because I'll be honest with you, I think you did a great job. You just won them <laughs> over. And that's what we have to do. You, you really showed that you care about them, but you were clear. And that's exactly what the church needs. If you ask me, you're our priest. I'll be honest with you. You're my guy. I, this is what it's about. You're like, that was so well done like share that story because i think it's yes. phenomenal yeah so uh, and thank you joe I, yeah i wanted to make sure i put that story in there as, as a lead in so we can see a practical example of how it looks to speak the truth in love so as you were saying i was invited to a, a social function in my hometown uh, i went and i was at the reception afterwards and I'm, I'm standing in the buffet line in my roman collar and and there were these two women that based on their public displays of affection i i, I assumed were were a lesbian couple uh, they see me in my roman collar and they beeline it right to me I'm, I'm standing right there at the buffet line they come up and they say you think we're wrong you think we're wrong you know and uh, kind of caught me off guard, and I said, well, uh, you are wrong. Well, they were, what? You know, what? <laughs> I was like, no, no, I pointed to their plates, and I said, look at the food you chose. Like, there's better food on this buffet. Like, you are wrong, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and they had to laugh almost in spite of themselves. And, and they said, well, you think we're wrong. You think we're wrong. What do you see when you see us? I thought, that's a great question. And I said to them, I'll tell you, the first thing I see when I look at the two of you are two children of God, well-beloved by our Heavenly Father, who want companionship in life, who want to love and be loved, who want someone to share the joys and the sufferings of life with. That's the first thing I see. Well, I mean, they were completely disarmed and shocked, right? Because that's not the hate speech that people say we, we, we give as Christians to other people, right? Uh, and, and no Christian should ever have that type of hate speech. But suddenly it's like, no, I acknowledge your human dignity. I acknowledge your humanity. I acknowledge it, your, your desire for companionship that every human being has. And, of course, the conversation continued. And they said, well, would you think we're wrong? And I said, yes, like the way you express yourself sexually, uh, yeah, we definitely have disagreements on I said, but that's not the first thing I see. 
Well, the conversation continued, and I went to sit down. They came and sat at my table. We ended up having a grand old time, and I thought, you imagine the other people looking at that saying, oh, look, there's the Catholic priest and the two lesbians, <laughs> right? You know? <laughs> so, and I tell that story and, and, and as an example of, of, you know, how we can approach and speak the truth. Like we, we can't betray the gospel's call to love by defending the gospel's truth. Like we have to have both. St. Paul says we speak the truth in love. I paraphrase that sometimes and I tell people, you don't have to be a jerk, right? Like you don't have to be a jerk. Like just speak the truth, you know, try to keep a sense of humor, uh, try to acknowledge the humanity that we have. This is a human being. This is a child of God, someone made in the image of God. Like, you know, I'm speaking to one of my sisters, one of my brothers. We have a common father and I need to show respect. Now that can be difficult. Uh, Joe was mentioning earlier in the show about you know people yelling and screaming and so on especially like praying in front of you know abortion clinics and so on and and i've had bad experiences with members of the lgbtq plus movement uh, who've yelled at my face who've called me terrible names who uh, on one occasion uh, spit on me you know and and yet in those moments it's hard to keep my sense of humor to be lighthearted, to 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 speak the message the, the gospel message, the, the moral truth, uh, with, with love and kindness, and yet, you know, by the grace of God, I was able to, you know, because I had the answers ready, uh, I knew what I was facing, and I really did want to share, in, in, in a powerful way, and hopefully a convincing way, the gospel truth of what it means to love and have sexual powers. So I think we always have to be ready no matter what uh, situation we might be in, whether it's one where they're willing to laugh and even have fellowship, or whether they want to yell, scream, call us names, and, and spit on us. I, I will always, I always try to keep in mind, I'm, I'm, you know, number one, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saving anybody. The Holy Spirit does the, you know, does the converting, okay? Amen. And we can, and even on our best day, okay, we're not converting everybody. Unfortunately, God's not converting everybody because we have free will, okay? That's the way it is. And we have to remember that I knew uh, a good priest, my, my wife's former spiritual director um, out in Queens. And he went to the, uh, the Pride March, call it that, in New York City, in Manhattan. Um, and he did what you were talking about, Father. He would get spit at and, and, and all that and uh, mocked and everything. He put a chair there with a sign that says, Catholic priest, any questions? And, and he sat there and spoke to them in, you know, with love and the truth. And he said it was not easy, but it's doable. And I dare say, and the reason why I say we're not going to convert everybody is a lot of people that are going to mock him. There's some people who are going to look at him and say, That's right. thank you for that, Father. All right. Yes. And hopefully this Holy Spirit, you know, will will penetrate that person and they'll convert. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe. But remember, the book um, is available from Tan Publishing. Sanctify them in truth. How the church's social doctrine addresses the issues of our time. The author is with us today. Great conversation. Father Jeffrey Kirby, Joe Racinello. Well, let's talk about health care, because this has always been, you know, something that the church has embraced. And frankly, it should. I mean, everyone deserves to have health care. Everybody. I mean, let's be honest. You can't have a family and not have health care. Something happens to your kid. You lose everything. You're done. So, I mean... With that said, though, I mean, I don't want the government to control my health care because I'm afraid of them. I'm not going to yes. lie. 
I, I'm yes. like, you see what goes on in, in England. Two little boys were basically taken from their families. They weren't given care. I mean, that's a horrendous thought. I mean, there's so many options that could happen with the government controlling that. And people, like, I think some Catholics have a, like, they'll trump that over, say, abortion as an issue. Mm -hmm. um, right. How's the best way to navigate it? Because I will be the first one to say everyone should have health care. It should not be a privileged thing. And it's that's becoming right. that. That's and right. that's a sin, to be yes, honest yes. with you. And, and exactly. And to your point, Joe, as Catholics, we have always seen health care as a universal human right. So just as we have you know, the right to assemble and the right to, uh, you know, uh, to freedom of speech, um, every human being has the right to health care. That has always been Catholic social teaching. Uh, that is a non-negotiable, like we will argue for that. It, it is a prudential issue, which means you can have multiple different forms or variations, different policies and laws, all of which can be true, even though they're distinct and different. They can all be true because it's a prudential issue. State of affairs will be different in each situation. And in that area, we look and say, well, yes, there's a universal human right to health care, but what does it look like? And, and it's a sad state when immediately people begin to think, well, if it's something that's necessary and something that has to be offered, the government has to do it. And, and that is a, a fairly contemporary view and yet a very predominant one where, no, if this is a basic human right, the government has to do it. Well, Catholic social doctrine isn't as on board with that conclusion. So yes, it's a basic human right, universal human right, but how it is expressed or how it is offered uh, is up for debate. And definitely our Catholic social doctrine tends to approach, you know, government support or government control of healthcare with great suspicion. So the church would prefer that it be offered, you know, by professional associations or civic organizations or by neighborhoods through like, you know, medical co-ops and so on. That, you know, applying that principle of subsidiarity, we go to the lowest appropriate level. Like why does the federal government have to be controlling my health care when I can just get my health care through a local organization in my community and that would be the preference uh, you know the, the good thing about subsidiarity is you know when it goes to the lowest appropriate level that whatever organization it is or whatever political political entity it is is more answerable to the people that it's supposedly serving, right? So if I'm a part of an organization in my community that's providing me with health care, the leaders of that organization, that association, they are more bound and beholden to me right? because they have to look at me That's because right. they're right there. So, uh, you know, there are variations too throughout the world of how we see healthcare uh, being uh, offered. You know, the, the idea that the government is the only solution is not one that we are willing to sign off on as, as Catholics. I want to go back to the days when, like, when, when we were all kids. I mean, my mother used to, you know, drag me and my brother to Dr. Saccone on Roseville Avenue in Newark, and, and she'd have the cash to pay for the checkup, okay? Now you call the doctor and you say, well, how much would it cost if I want to come in for a checkup? Uh, uh, well, which insurance do you have? I didn't ask you that. Yeah. I asked how much it costs. See, now, I know I'm, I'm being a little cheeky, if you will, but that's kind of like the problem. Like, yes. like, what are you talking about? When did this get so off the rails? Like you said, Father, we could, we could use our prudential judgment, particularly on a local level, okay, to come up with solutions, all right, and let insurance go back to being what it is, all right, which is insurance. God forbid something really bad happens. And let's start to work some solutions underneath for, like Joe mentioned, when the kid's got to go for the checkup or his son gets strep throat, 
okay, or, 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 or all these other things that you don't need insurance for. What you need is a, a little bit, maybe some market force. But again, I don't want to get into the politics of it. There are ways that we could address it, all right? Yeah. And it just seems to be when you're, when you're not being so polemical, when you're not being so ideological, then it seems like we could sit down at the table and come up with some practice, practical solutions. And, and so, um, Joe, exactly. go ahead, Father. Go ahead. And what most catches me off guard is the fact that that conversation doesn't even happen. Oh. So it's either, well, the federal government does it or it doesn't happen at all. And, and I would say, well, let's at least have a conversation and, you know, perhaps like entertain the possibility that there are different options and different ways of providing, fulfilling this universal right to health care. Absolutely. Joe, you were about to say. No, what I was going to say, what I think, and, and, and I was thinking this as we were talking on a lot of different issues. I read the social compendium of the Catholic Church, and, and um, I have Catholic guilt with, when it comes to money. I'm just going to be honest with you. On paper, my wife and I are very rich, to be honest with you, but I have five kids. They go to Catholic school. I'm saving. I have no money because it's not mine. <laughs> right. But but Amen. but on paper, I, one would say that you're rich and there's an obligation to give. There is, period. And the story. Joe, Joe, I'm sorry. You just, I, I got to just chime in one thing. Joe, we're from New Jersey. If you have a job in New Jersey, the government considers you rich. No, but, but what, I'm, what I am saying is with the health care issue is, and this leads to the compendium of the Catholic Church, no one's really supposed to be rich. Like, we're supposed to meet our potential because God has given us gifts. I have to take care of my family, but I should live modestly. And I should take care of others and my family first i have to educate them i have to provide but that doesn't mean i need a rolex watch that doesn't Amen. mean i need a fancy car and catholics i think if we all shared a little bit doctors insurance but it's we've lost that like like we just have lost that and yes. you know and i think that's the answer you know what i'm saying if we all took a step back we're still no one starves by giving a little bit of money that's like or or not sure you know what i mean what's your thoughts on that because i think that's the answer yeah, exactly. Our, our spiritual tradition calls that uh, simplicity of life, that we fulfill the duties of our vocation, that we make sure that we have what is necessary to provide for ourselves, for our loved ones. But then, and then after that, we live a simplicity of life. So to your point, we, we don't have the nicest watch or the best car or the highest you know, levels of technology and so on, that we live a simplicity of life. Like, what do I need you know, to fulfill my duties, my responsibilities? And then whatever is left, like, then I am bound and called to give that to those who are in greater need. So, but, but oftentimes what happens is, I mean, the Lord tells the parable. He says, you know, the, the Lord, you know, the, the God blesses the harvester. He's given, you know, more. More, uh, harvest than what he thought and, and what does the guy do he decides to build a second barn to store you know uh, all, all the fruits of his harvest right and then he dies and, and the Lord says basically like you know it didn't go well for him uh, because you know the man as he when he was blessed by the Lord with a larger harvest he didn't think you know what can I give to the poor or can I increase this you know the the compensation of my employees can I improve the quality of my product uh, no there was nothing it was all about himself like oh more more harvest that means more for me and he built a second barn just to keep it now I have to tell you sometimes I think of that parable whenever I drive past all of these storage units like have you noticed like the massive increase of storage units I mean They're people all have over so place. much stuff yeah exactly and people had so much stuff they can't even keep it all in their house it's like George Carlin used to say you should go everybody's worried about their stuff 
You know, right. it's like they, they, it's what you think about when you, I'm, it's funny you brought that up. You, they're all over the place. It's like, how do these people make money? Evidently, they're making money because people got a lot of excess stuff. Yeah, I was wondering about that, especially like those who are Christian. Like, you know, do they ever ask, like, huh, like, the things that are in my storage unit, how often do I actually use these things? And, and do I really need them? And could I give them to the poor or to a family who's in need or an unwed mother? Or, yeah, to, so to, to Joe, Joe's point, like, there should be a certain simplicity of life in the Christian disciple. No Absolutely. Doubt. Father Jeffrey Kirby is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. His new book is out from Tan Publishing, Sanctify Them in Truth, How the Church's Social Doctrine Addresses the Issues of Our Time. So I, I, I'm trying to determine over here because Joe Racinello allows me the uh, the opportunity to kind of guide the conversation. Um, he's got a lot of trust in me. So we're not getting to everything, Father. We only have a few minutes left. So I have to decide what we're going to talk about. Let's talk. We're talking about issues. That's what your book is about. Let's talk about race, okay? Yes. And we need to clarify some things on race. Okay, Joe and I, our, our wives are sisters, okay? Joe and I are brothers-in-law. They are Haitian-Americans. They're black, okay? Joe's got biracial children, okay? We know a lot about race. Our in-laws are, 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 are African-American, you know, Haitian-American. Um, we hear too much. We hear yeah. too much about lessons on race. Now, in my view, I say all the time, I'm Roman Catholic. You're not going to teach me anything about race that I don't already know. All right. <laughs> Jesus told me everything I need to know. Father, am I being naive? No, 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 no. I think I think just listening to Christ would solve the problems of racism. What do Amen. you say? Amen. Exactly. Um, yeah, I heard one, um, you know, Baptist minister here in the southeast say, you know, um, you know, the, the 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 problem with race, right, with racism, uh, is that we make it a political issue when actually it's it's an issue uh, in the realm of sin. So rather than worrying about political situations, we should be worrying about you know the state of our souls and the fact that the you know th this racism racism is is a sin. And I'll just say this that you know when, when we start to speak about race it goes back to, to joe's earlier point about the balance that we receive in the church of social doctrine so you know first to to, to be clear uh, racism is a grave sin to mm -hmm. judge any other child of god uh, simply because of the color of their skin or other forms of bigotry so you know what their background might be what their economic status might be what you know their language group might be and so on to, to judge another person solely by an attribute or a feature of their personhood uh, is a grave sin and 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 particularly as a catholic christian because if you go back to the you know the ancient world people were defined by their tribes people didn't interact with people outside of their tribes their language language groups, except in the Christian community. At the Christian Eucharist, everyone came, the rich, the poor, people from different language groups, people from different tribes, they all came together. We were the first multicultural organization in the world, if we, if we want to use this language, right? In fact, the word Catholic actually means universal. It means that we have all of the teachings, the universal teachings of Christ, but also it's universal because everyone's welcome. So all are welcome in this. So there, there is no divide. There is no separation. Uh, no language group is told no, no poverty, uh, you know, uh, situation. It, it, you know, those in poverty are told no. Uh, there's, there's no tribe that's, that's excluded. Like, no, everyone is welcome. So as Catholic Christians, uh, racism betrays so many things, you know, human dignity, it betrays our identity as a community, you know, founded in Jesus Christ and, and, and historically how we've always understood this. Now, now, with all that said, so, you know, 
uh, clear teachings on race. Uh, we have this very popular theory, however, that, that's being um, passed around in our culture called critical race theory. And, and, and this we have major problems with in our social doctrine. And, and again, it's, it, it, we have to be careful because once you start to say you have problems with critical race theory, some people immediately say, oh, then you're a racist. Mm. No, 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 no. We've been clear, like racism has always been denounced by our community, by our faith, our tradition. Uh, racism is a grave sin. Critical race theory, however, we have problems with because critical race theory says, if you're not a member of the group that's being oppressed, then you must be an oppressor, right? So, for example, the black community, the community of, of, that has been oppressed, if you're not within the black community, therefore you must be in some way an oppressor. You are racist simply because you are not member a member of this group. So we can see the problem with this. If your organization or an institution of culture or society has been founded by someone outside of the oppressed group, then it must be inherently racist and therefore must be taken out, must be destroyed, dissolved, right? So you can see the problems with this, especially if we think, well, wait a minute, haven't the great ones among us, hasn't our tradition? And, and let's look at the American Christian tradition. Dr. Martin Luther King asked, his dream was that his children would be judged by the content of their character not the color of their skin. So even in the American Christian tradition, we see this emphasis of our Catholic tradition, which is that the critical race theory is wrong because I can't judge someone by the color of their skin. I can't say you're a racist because you're not black or because you're not Hispanic. No, I judge by the person's actions, by what they have spoken, by what they have done. That's justice. So critical race theory violates justice. And, and, and the sad part is, as critical race theory spreads and people show opposition to it, then what happens is we become desensitized to real racism, which still exists in portions of our country. And that desensitization becomes a major problem because then people, they hear, oh, this is racist, and they just roll their eyes and they no longer pay attention. And racism, authentic racism, is a grave sin. It, it does not belong in a healthy society. Absolutely. Absolutely, Father Kirby. Joe Resinolo, quick comment. We only have about 30 seconds. Um, well, I, we can't get to all the subjects. We could talk for hours. I, I want to talk about... We hope to have you back, Father Yeah, Kirby. you agree. Yeah, we hope to have you Honest back. Honest to God. Uh, I think accompaniment's the answer. You know, we could be friends with people. I think we forgot about that. I'll let you do the talking. But, like, even if you disagree with somebody who is... Why can't you just be their friend? And they... Like, I could exist in that realm. <laughs> what, what do you yep. think about that? Joe, Joe Rissinol, yes. I, I I really... I, I apologize to the two of you. I got... We have to leave it there. Okay, it's I'm radio, sorry. Father... We, are, we apologize. <laughs> but, but Joe, great place to end it. I mean, we need to show, as we said earlier, we need to speak the truth in love. That means we have to be, Mike Aquilina said the same thing to us. How am I going to try to get people in the church if, if, if I don't show them love, if I'm unwilling to be friends with them? Father Kirby, where can people buy the book? Yeah, so from the publisher, Tam Books, or from the local Catholic bookstore. And we always emphasize support our publishers, support our Catholic bookstores. Father Kirby, we hope to have you back at some point in the future. But a sincere thanks from both Joe and myself. This was a fantastic conversation, and we want to thank you again. Um, and we want to thank you all out there for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. 
Download the app so that you can listen to all of our content and share it with your friends. And please finally follow Joe and I on social media at the Frontline TV on YouTube. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.